Welcome to another inspirational teaching by Pastor Mike Foreman, Senior Pastor of the First Baptist Church of Level Plains. For more information about Pastor Mike and the church, please visit our website at www.fbclp.life. Let's join Pastor Mike now as he shares from God's Word. Well, we've been uh, looking for the past seven weeks together about what does it mean to live the life of a Jesus follower. I don't know about you, but that's my desire is to just be a Jesus follower. Amen? Is that your desire? I hope that's your desire. Yeah, that's the greatest desire we can have as believers is to really live our lives to be a Jesus follower. And we've been looking at that, and we've, we've discovered, I hope you discover through the series, two primary things about what a Jesus follower is not. A Jesus follower is not just about doing or not doing things in the Christian life. See, the, the church for far too long, that's what we sold being a Jesus follower about. We, we said, listen, if you're a Jesus follower, you just do all these things and don't do these things. And if you do these things, you're good. And if you don't, if you do these things, you're bad. And, and we made it, you know, more about do's and don'ts. The other thing we've done in the church is we've, we've taken and we've said being a Jesus follower, if we don't concentrate on the do's and don'ts, we concentrate on knowledge. And we say, well, if you just know this set of doctrine, if you, if you got this catechism down right, if you got this set of truths, and you can regurgitate those truths and you can give it back, then we, we classify those people as Jesus followers, spiritual people. And the reality is that's not what being a Jesus follower is about either. Being a Jesus follower is all about relationships. Remember, we talked about those relationships. We talked about if you take the Gospels and you follow Jesus' life through the Gospels, you find that Jesus lived his life on relationships. He lived his relationship with his Father, first and foremost, right? You, everywhere you turn, you look at Jesus. Jesus is in connection. He's, he is with the Father. He's getting alone with God. He's spending time with God in prayer. Before all of his major decisions, you look at the Gospels. Before he picked his disciples, what do you find Jesus doing? You, you find him praying. And so Jesus is in relationship with the Father. And so if you and I are going to be Jesus followers, then it just stands to reason that if he made it important in his, in his relationship with the Father, then our relationship with the Father ought to be important. And we use the key word for that. Remember, we use the word abide. We talk about what we want to do as followers of Jesus is we want to abide in him. By the way, that's what he said in John 15, 5. And if we abide in him, he says, then we bear much fruit. For apart from him, you can do nothing. See, that relationship is so crucial, so important. If we forget that it's that important, then listen, we're not going to accomplish anything for the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. But you look at Jesus' life, not only he concentrated on his relationship with the Father, but he concentrated on his relationship with his disciples. You know, those 12 guys that he called, the one would betray him, stab him in the back. We know that he would call those guys and they would follow him and, and he would pour his life into their lives. Jesus modeled for us what we ought to be doing, and that is if relationships for Jesus were important, not just the Father, but with other believers, those 12 guys, then it ought to be important to us. We ought to realize the relationship that we have as brothers and sisters in Christ is crucial and important. And we use the key word to connect. We ought to be in connection with one another. We ought to connect. We 
do that connection, by the way, through small group studies called Sunday school or small groups throughout the week. And we do that through large group, right? We come together once a week into here and we fellowship in small group. And by the way, we have a great small or large group, but we have a great small group again on Wednesday night. I'd encourage you to come to our prayer meeting and to our Bible study time. We have a great small group going on Wednesday nights and uh, you may want to come be a part of that. But not only did Jesus care about his relationship with the Father and his relationship with his disciples, but listen, Jesus had a relationship with the world. That is, he came to seek and to save that which is lost. That is, that Jesus, when he came into the world, came with a purpose. He didn't come just to be a great teacher. He didn't come to be a miracle worker. He came to be the sacrifice for sin and to seek and to save that which is lost. You know, you think about those people who Jesus bumped into who were in the world and their lives were forever changed, forever changed because of their contact with Jesus Christ. And so it stands to reason that you and I, we ought to have a relationship with the world. I was teaching in my Sunday school class this morning that that relationship is not to love the world or the things of the world, but we ought to love the people of the world. Amen. We have a relationship with the people. That is the, the people that don't come to this church, the people who are outside the walls. And a few weeks, two weeks ago, we began to look at that. We began to say, if Jesus had a relationship with the world, what did that look like? What does our relationship to the world look like? We ought to be concerned. We ought to care that other people that do not know Jesus are not going to heaven when they die. Amen. We can't play games about that. We talked about the urgency of the gospel. And as we begin to continue to think that thought, I want you to take your Bibles and begin to turn to Luke chapter 4 because... As we think about being a follower of Jesus, there's three truths I want to give you this morning as we sort of wrap up this series somewhat. I'm going to do something in the next couple of weeks a little different with this series, so I want you to hold on to your habit. I want you to think about Luke's Gospel, chapter 4 this morning, and I want you to listen to the heart of Jesus because here's the reality. The reality is that if I'm going to be a Jesus follower, then my heart ought to be like his heart. Listen to what Jesus says, or it says about Jesus, Luke 4, 42. Now, when it was day, he departed and went into a deserted place, and the crowd sought him and came to him, and, he tried to, and they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, because for this purpose... I have been sent. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. When you begin to think about the Lord Jesus and what is taking place here, Jesus has went into a city and he, the Bible says, healed everybody they brought to him. What, what an incredible, incredible day that must have been. I mean, they brought people out that needed physical healing, but then listen, they brought people out that needed spiritual healing. And the Bible says that everybody that they brought to Jesus, if you just look at the previous verses, it says everybody they brought to Jesus, he healed them. And he cast out demons. Now, what, a, what an incredible picture I get when I think of that event. And so Jesus, you get the idea that he ministers all day long and he sort of withdraws. And here it is that it's a new day that has come, and Jesus is going to depart to a deserted place. We'll come back to that in just a few moments. But I want you to see in the heart of Jesus, his concern and his love for the world, because that ought to be our concern. So write this down. Here's number one. As I follow Jesus, what is on his heart 
should be on my heart. Amen? So what was on the heart of Jesus? Well, notice in the verses, in verse 43, he said to them, I must. Now, notice that Jesus, first of all, talks about the priority, this must. He gives us a word that is so crucial because it is a word that means of necessity. So he's saying here, I have to. I have to do what? He says there's two things on his heart. What are the two things? Look at the the text. I have to preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, because for this purpose I have been sent. Here's what's on the heart of Jesus. You ready for it? Write it down. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Do you understand the reason that's on his heart? Should that be on our heart this morning? I want you to think about the kingdom of God. There are over a hundred references in the New Testament to the kingdom of God. I would say there's that many references that the kingdom of God must be pretty important to the Lord. Amen? I mean, wouldn't you say? If if there's over a hundred references to the kingdom of God, it ought to be pretty important to the Lord. Well, so, Jesus says, I must be about preaching the kingdom. So what is the kingdom? I like this one definition. I forget where I stole it from. I found it in some of the notes of different things that I collect. But listen to what this definition of the kingdom says. I wish I could give credit, but it's not mine. But whoever wrote it, I thank you for it. So there you go. I give credit. God's sovereign, here it is. It's God's sovereign activity in the world that results in people being in a right relationship with himself. That's pretty good, isn't it? I'll read it again. God's sovereign activity in the world resulting in people being in right relationship with himself. What is the kingdom about? It's about God advancing forward in his sovereign control in order to bring people into the kingdom for salvation. Amen? To bring them in a relationship with himself. Listen, you know what that means? That means the kingdom, listen, the kingdom is believers. It's you and I. Amen? We are part of this kingdom. I love Revelation chapter 4 and 5. Probably my most favorite of all the Revelation texts. But Revelation Chapter 5, verses 9 and 10 says this. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Out of every tribe and every tongue and every people and nation. And have made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on the earth. Talk about citizens being bought by the blood of Jesus, being brought into this kingdom of God. And the other thing I see about that in that text, not only is the kingdom believers, that's who's singing back. But listen, the kingdom's big. The kingdom's not limited. It's not small. It's big. I mean, think about it. The church is birthed at Pentecost, and on its first day, 3,000 souls are added. The kingdom's pretty big, isn't it? It's not small. We've got to quit thinking that Christianity is small, that, that the kingdom is small. It's big. It's much bigger than you and I. Amen? And here's the thing about that kingdom. That kingdom, he says, is a kingdom that's continuing to be built. The kingdom of God is being expanded even now as I'm preaching. I think about reading stories, <clears throat> how Muslims are coming to Jesus. I read stories about how in India God is moving how even in China, under great persecution right now, did you know in China they're, they're beginning to destroy churches? They're actually going in and blowing them up right now. And even in the midst of all that, God is growing his kingdom. Isn't that exciting? 
that God is still going to grow his kingdom. And Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24, he says, and this kingdom or this gospel of the kingdom (coughs) will be preached in all of the world as a witness to all nations, listen, until the end comes. You know what end it is? It's the end of time as you and I know it. Listen, it's going to be that time when Jesus is going to come get us. I don't know about you. You believe in a rapture? I do too. I believe in a rapture. You know, these people want to argue. Is it, is it going to be before the trip? Is it going to be in the middle of it? Is it going to be at the end? Hey, listen, we can argue all day long about those things. You can be wrong. I believe it's going to come at the beginning. You can be wrong if you want to be. But listen, I'm going to be gone. Amen. He's coming to get me. I'm out of here. Amen. I just believe he's coming. Amen. I believe he's coming. Daddy, you believe he's coming? Amen. He's coming. And I'll tell you what, we need to be about the kingdom. Why? Because he is growing the kingdom. He is expanding the kingdom until he comes back to get us. That should be our responsibility. And whether he comes to get me in death or whether he comes to get me in a rapture, we ought to be about expanding the kingdom. That's what was on his heart. That's what ought to be on our heart. Listen to this life-changing reality. Listen to this. God is at work all over the world, and he brought you and me into relationship with himself to do what? To join him. To join him. It is not about, listen, it's not about what we do, but it's about who we are. Amen? It's not about doing a bunch of stuff for Jesus. It's about who we are in Jesus. And when I quit trying to just do a bunch of stuff for Jesus, and I start living in Jesus, and he, more importantly, living his life in and through me, listen, then what will be on my heart is the kingdom agenda. His kingdom, not my kingdom. Amen? Did you notice, did you catch it in that verse? Go back to verse 43, what Jesus said, I must. Listen, if Jesus is compelled, and it's an urgency for Jesus to be about the kingdom business, then it ought to be a must in our life. It ought to be something that we are compelled to do. It ought to be something that becomes urgent in our life. As a matter of fact, it ought to be a 633 life, a Matthew 633 life. What is, what is that life? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then all these things we had. See, here's the problem. We're like the Gentile world. We're like the lost people. We're out there chasing all that other stuff. What we're going to wear, what we're going to eat, what we're going to drink. We're chasing all those worldly necessities and things in life. And Jesus said, listen, all you need to be concerned about is the kingdom. And if you'll be concerned about the kingdom first, what? Then God will add all those other things, right? Then God will take care of you. You don't have to worry about taking care of yourself. God will take care of you. Amen? David said in the Psalms, he said, I've been young and I've been old. I've never seen God's children beg for bread. Amen? You don't have to worry about begging for bread, my friend. God's going to take care of his children. Amen? Now, it may not seem like it sometimes. You may think, well, hey, there's been some pretty close times. Listen, it's all right. God's still with you. Amen? He's with you. He promised to never leave you nor forsake you. We've got to walk in that truth. And so Jesus had on his heart, listen, he had on his heart, verse 43, this kingdom of God. But notice, notice this, though. He had on his heart the expansion of this kingdom because notice what he says. He said, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also. Jesus wasn't about keeping the gospel in Jerusalem. He wasn't about keeping the gospel in Galilee. Jesus was about taking this gospel and spreading it. He had to go somewhere else and preach. And the Bible says that he went into other cities. And he said he went preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. So he began to preach in other cities because he was passionate about getting the gospel out to other people. 
Well, what does that sort of look like for you and for me? If we're going to preach in the other cities, I think it goes back to an Acts 1-8 mentality, right? Acts 1-8, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea in Samaria and other parts of the earth, right? We, we ought to realize that where does it begin? Listen, missions begins in our own backyard. It's okay to support and we're going to support through the month of April. We're going to support the North American Mission Board. And we're going to give graciously. We're going to give abundantly so that we can help fund the North American Mission Board to send missionaries all across this continent. Why? Because do you realize that the United States has become the fourth largest mission field in the world? That's crazy to think about. We used to be ascending. Listen, we're becoming like Europe. Less and less Christian. Less and less Christian influence. We're now the fourth in the world when it comes to numerical population about being a mission field. Think about that. It just blows my mind. But that's what they're telling us. But missions doesn't begin by sending our money to the North American Mission Board. It doesn't begin by giving our, our Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Listen, it begins in our own backyard. That is, who's your neighbor? Now, Jesus answered that question, didn't he, very well for us. But who's your neighbor? Let's narrow it down. Literally, who lives next door to you? Amen? If it's your kinfolk, you need to expand a little bit. Amen? Because a lot of y'all look out there, you guys forgot, you live right next door to your kinfolk. But maybe they need Jesus too. I don't know. But we ought to begin, listen, we ought to begin right here in our own backyard in Level Plains or where you live. And then we could begin to expand it out. Maybe we could go five miles out from the church. Maybe we can go ten miles out from the church. You know, maybe, maybe we begin as we begin to run, we're, we're talking about enterprise, and now we're talking about all of Dale and Coffee County, or maybe we begin to talk about state mission work, or maybe now we begin to talk about the southeast, and we sort of begin to broaden our circle. You know, maybe we're talking about going through the whole United States. Maybe we're going to talk about getting on a plane and going overseas and doing some mission work there. See, the kingdom of God is continuing to expand everywhere. It begins here. And the reality is, if you can't do it here, I don't know that you can do it anywhere else. Amen? And so we ought to begin here, and we ought to begin to expand out. So we begin here, and we go out into the whole world. So it is that I must. Jesus said, I must go. I must preach the gospel. I have to have this, this purpose fulfilled that God has given me in my life. And if that's his purpose, that's his calling, then certainly if that's on his heart, then it ought to be on our hearts. The question becomes, is it on our heart this morning? Are we really concerned? And can I just remind you this, that, that when we think about this kingdom of God and being involved in the activity of the kingdom of God, it is not a program, but it is the overflow of my life with Jesus. Amen? It's hard to program because, listen, you know what I've learned over the years being a pastor? People don't attend programs. But I'll tell you what, you get their heart changed, you get them in love with Jesus, you get them walking with Jesus, then guess what? Then they'll be about the business of the Lord. Amen? That's what's most important. So is what's on his heart on my heart? Second of all, we learn from Luke uh, this, this, right now, number two, my relationship to the world is dependent on my relationship with the Father. My relationship with the world is dependent upon my relationship with the Father. First of all, if you have a relationship with the world outside of having a relationship with the Father, you are in trouble. <laughs> You know why? Because we talked about Sunday school class this morning. The world is elusive. Uh, it is luring. It will pull you into the heartbeat. Amen? It will get you all wrapped up in the pride of life, in the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eye. Listen, if you try to have a relationship with the world outside of a relationship with God, you're going you're gonna to be all messed up. And so 
It's dependent. Out of my walk with God, I have this walk and this relationship with the world. Not that I love the world or that I'm living in this world for the world, but listen, I'm living in the world to influence it for the kingdom. Notice, though, the text. Notice what happens. Listen, this is a sad statistic. Listen to me. It tells us today, research tells us, that less and less and less believers are sharing their faith. Less and less believers are sharing their faith. Why is that the case? I, I don't know why it's the case. I don't know if there's any big answer to that question other than, well, perhaps maybe it's like these folks in this text. Look at the text again, verse 43. Uh, or verse 42, rather, excuse me. And, and when it was day, he departed and went to a deserted place. But what are the crowds always? They're always looking for Jesus, right? And the crowd sought him and came to him. Now, here, here, underline this. And tried to keep him from leaving them. See, here's what we've done. We've made Jesus exclusive. Oh, not in the sense he's the only one that saves. But we, we want him exclusively to ourselves. It's okay for us to talk about him in here. And we want him in here and we love him here. But the reality is that sometimes we as the people of God are too self-centered. And we want Jesus to ourselves. We want to hold on to him. We want to keep him to ourselves. The, the crowd witnessed his preaching. They, they, listened, they witnessed his power and the healing. And, and he talked about his passion for the gospel. Listen, they just wanted to grab a hold. That word literally means they wanted to hold him. They wanted to hold him down. They wanted to just keep him in the city. And I wonder, do we try to just keep Jesus to ourselves because we love the benefit of walking with Jesus. We love the relationship of walking with Jesus, but we don't like telling him or sharing him with other people. They try to keep him from living. Hey, listen, I wrote this down because I didn't want to forget this quote. The reason most churches and most Christians aren't involved in expanding God's kingdom is because they're more about themselves than the, and, uh, than the world that Christ died to save. The reason most Christians are, or most churches and Christians aren't involved in expanding God's kingdom is because they are more about themselves than the world Christ died. See, we're, we're more concerned about our own interest. See, the, the question is this. He asked this question in his notes. Is your life consumed with building your empire or the expansion of God's kingdom? Can, can we just be honest this morning that sometimes we're too busy building our own empires? Sometimes we're too busy about our own little lives. We're, we're too busy about doing our own thing. We're too busy planning how we're going to live our life and what we're going to do with the money we have and the life that we're going to live. Too, too many times, David, we're busy with those things, aren't we? Rather than thinking about, God, how is it that you want to use me? God, how is it that you want to expand the kingdom through my life? And we get too caught up building our own kingdoms. You know how Jesus overcame that obstacle? Well, first of all, he's perfect, the son of God. But you know how he did it? You go back to verse 42. What did Jesus do? He departed and went into a deserted place. He got away from it. Can I tell you that we have to just get away from the crowd sometime? And we just have to spend time with the Father. When I don't spend time with God... It's very easy for me to become, live, come, become about me, living my life for me. Uh, I'll just be very vulnerable this morning. I was, I was sharing uh, with my Sunday school class this morning. We talked about pride. And uh, a few weeks ago, 
Murray and I were at a conference in Birmingham, and one of the speakers got up to speak. I won't say who it is because this is on the internet, and I don't want to. I don't want it to be broadcast that I said this uh, about a particular person. Uh, but anyway, this guy got up uh, to preach, and well known, and uh, well educated, and you know. And, and I'll just be honest: when he was preaching, I just thought, you know, oh, poor, poor, poor. I'm just not getting anything from this. He's all over the place, and. You know, you know what I'm talking about, Marina. We were talking about that. And so, you know, when I got my quiet time a few days after that, uh, God sort of spanked me. Because, uh, you know, when God's man gets up to preach, you know, and I've listened to some boring preaching in my life. But when a man and a guy gets up to preach, there's something that you can glean from that. Amen? Uh, matter of fact, God reminded me that some of the greatest preachers in the past were never eloquent speakers. But when they began to utter the words of God... People begged and cried out to be saved. You know, so it's not about the performance of the stage. And see, when we, when, we have our, when we have our devotion time, we have our quiet time with God, when we go into the throne room and spend that time with him, he keeps us that way, right? He, he keeps reminding us that it's to be like Jesus. That's, that's the goal, is to be like Jesus. That is to be abiding, to be in connection, to, to be about sharing the gospel. See, he reminds us, it's so easy when we don't draw away. It's so easy to become so self-absorbed. So we need to take that time to get away, to be like the master, find time to draw and to be away. Jesus did this often. Mark one thirty-five says, now in the morning, having arisen a long time before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place and there he prayed. There it is again. Jesus, you know, got up early before daylight and spent, and some of you go, oh, preacher, I can't do that. That's okay. I'm not asking you to do that. Amen. But what is it that you can have a time where you can get away from folks and you can have time alone with God? Amen. I like getting up early. That's my thing. Some in my family, they don't get up early. All right. That's not their thing. It's okay. When is it that you can have some time where you can draw away and be with the Lord? Because that's crucial. That's a, an important time to keep us balanced as believers. It's not about checking. Remember, it's not about the do's and the don't thing again. It's about this relationship. I want to nurture my relationship with the Father so I get along with him so that he can maintain my heart so that I'll be more like his son. Because what's on his heart, I want on my heart. And his heart was about the kingdom. The third thing I want you to write down will be done, I promise. The life I live should reflect the purpose I have. Think about Jesus for a minute and look back at verse 43. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also. Why so? Because here's his purpose. Because for this purpose I've been sent. Why did God save you? See, the problem is we think that God, God saved us because we're just this wonderful, special, beautiful people. And so he saved us and now he's put us on the shelf. And one day he's going to take us on the shelf and take us to heaven. Listen, God didn't save us because of anything we've done. God saved us out of his mercy and his grace. Amen. But God saved us. You remember, we love Ephesians 2. We love to quote verses 8 and 9. For we've been saved by grace through faith. This not of ourselves, right? It's a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. But we always forget verse 10. Verse 10 says he saved us what? To good works. 
That what? That he prepared beforehand. That what? That you should walk in them. Amen? We forget that God saved us with a purpose. What is the ultimate purpose that he saves us? Well, he says it in the Great Commission. Go make disciples. So what are we doing? We are becoming disciples who make disciples. Who make more disciples. Who make more disciples. Who make more disciples. It never ends. It is a continual cycle. And so you and I, we need to understand that like Jesus had this purpose to come into the world in order to save folks. Listen, he has passed the baton to us. And now we are, remember we shared a few weeks ago from Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. We are, he said, you are the light of the world. We are the light of the world. We have the responsibility as Jesus followers to be the light, to have the same mandate that Jesus has to go into the world. He said, for this purpose, I have come. We can say for this purpose, God has saved us. Not just so we can go to heaven and have a big party one day. Amen. Although it's going to be great, but listen. Too many of us, we're too focused on when I get to heaven, I'll live for Jesus. Listen, it's time to live for Jesus now. It's time to live for him now. Amen. It is not just about him catching you doing something you shouldn't be doing. It's more about, am I living for Jesus now so that I can take other people with me? Are other people going to heaven when I die because of what I've done? Because of the influence that I've had on their life? Now, that doesn't mean I save anybody. Listen, I don't save anybody. <laughs> But it sure is good to know when God uses me when he saves somebody. Amen? It's good to know that when I had the opportunity to share the gospel and I'm obedient to that, that people get saved. I thank God for that. And there sure is a whole lot more people going to get saved when we share the gospel than when we're not. Amen? Not good English, but it makes sense. So let me just conclude by asking this question. Does your life reflect the purpose that you've come? Let's pray. Thank you for listening today. And remember, you can find more information about Pastor Mike and the church at our website, www.fbclp.life.